And now, the travel show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is the travel show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be talking about travel. And we would love to have your thoughts on that subject. To appear as a guest on the show, either to ask a question or maybe to discuss something in travel that you know about, email Fromer travel show at yahoo.com but if you're just a traveler if you don't need to be on air with us we'd also invite you to visit us online you can do that two ways you can come to our website which is fromers.com f-r-o-m-m-e-r-s or look for that name wherever you do your social media whether it be twitter facebook instagram or pinterest Pauline, I would like to start today's program by discussing the impact of politics as well as the impact of economics on the currency values of various countries mm. and thus upon the cost of traveling within that country. You don't have to be a scholar to know that the condition of a country's economy has a direct bearing on the value of its currency. If the economy is doing well, the value of its currency tends to go up. If the economy is doing poorly, the value of the currency drops. And that brings us to the value, the controversial value of the British pound and whether England, that being a key destination for most Americans, whether the, the value of the British pound will go up or down because of Britain's removal from the European Union. In the British election of a few weeks ago, Britain gave a resounding yes to the uh, British Conservative Party and its leader, the unusual Boris Johnson. <laughs> That's a good Bo word from Both of these people, the, the Johnson as well as his par party, apparently favor leaving the European Union, and most observers felt that the British economy would decline because of Boris Johnson's victory. But to the surprise of many, the exact opposite occurred. And the British pound tended to go up in value in the immediate aftermath of the British election, making travel in Great Britain a bit more expensive for the average American traveler. But it's important to realize we are now in a strange holding pattern with respect to Great Britain. There are so many events that can make the British pound retreat in value, and those events are too numerous to be disregarded. If, if the British economy goes into a situation of chaos following its removal from the European Union, then obviously the European, the British pound will go down in, in quality and in value. If the British land of Scotland d decides to secede from Great Britain, mm. and would you believe that's a, that's a live issue in, in England? If the uh, Scotland decides to, to secede from the British uh, Empire because uh, of, of its removal from the European Union, which is entirely likely, then the British pound will plummet downward in value, making travel in Great Britain cheaper than ever before for the American tourists. In the less likely event 
that Wales decides to leave Great Britain. And there are a great many Welsh people who wanted to secede from Britain. If that happens, then the value of the British pound will also plummet downward. And there are so many other economic and political events that could occur because of uh, a current decision in Great Britain that the British pound is affected by, uh, in, in fact, uh, according to no other currency in the world, huh. no other currency in the world is more likely to go downwards in value. Most likely is the possibility that the economy of Great Britain will fu- will suffer decreasing the value of the British hmm. pound as as a cost conscious tourist will want to uh, look at the financial pages of the newspaper to see what has happened to the British pound. Absolutely. I, I am betting, Pauline, I am betting on a decrease in the value of the British pound. And in fact, in the, a couple of days ago, it went down by huh. at least one or two percent. But I think it will go down much more uh, significantly. I am convinced that Britain will become less expensive for the American tourists. And Great Britain is obviously the most popular of all European destinations for Americans, which is why the value of the British pound is as important as it is. Pauline, what do you predict as to the future direction of the British pound, up or down? That's interesting. I'm hoping to visit because my daughter thinks she may want to go to college in Britain, uh, which is vastly less expensive than doing so here in the United States, even when uh, airfare is factored in because they subsidize their educational systems to so much a greater a degree than we do here. So I'm hoping Britain stays together because my kid may be there. It means that an already inexpensive destination will become even less expensive. I hope for so. your daughter yeah, we'll see. if the we'll British see. pound should plummet. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, an- another of the world's currencies has fallen greatly in value in recent months, and that is the Argentinian peso. And yes. in fact, you have chosen as one of the one of the best places to go in, in yes, the year we did. 2020. If you, if you look uh, Argentina. at Fromers.com, best places to go, Argentina is one of them because the peso is so decreased in Pauline, value. In fact, there is no country on earth in which it is now cheaper to vacation than Argentina. Now, what else is currently happening in travel? Well, to the surprise of many, there seems to be a massive attack on several of the most popular features of the Internet. I am talking about the ride-sharing program that's known as Mm. Uber or known as Lyft, and also about the apartment-sharing services known as Airbnb. At least one of the that grouping has just suffered a major defeat. In none other than the London, England, the regulatory officials have just removed an all-important license permitting Uber and Lyft mm. uh, to actually wow. be in business in a searing opinion. The officials of London, England, of all people, have found that Uber and Lyft in their part of the woods have deliberately hired unqualified drivers. And in one instance that they cite, one of them hired a driver for Uber who actually didn't possess a driver's license. Oh, oh my. <laughs> that, that would definitely have an imp- impact on your yeah. use of Uber. They have also cited numerous instances in which Uber and Lyft have failed to operate rides according to the standards associated, uh, that are expected of them. 
Now, Uber and Lyft have taken a, an appeal from that decision. The decision was to deny them all, every one of them, a license to continue operating. And Uber and Lyft have taken an appeal from the decision rendered by these licensing authorities of London. And until that appeal is decided, Uber and Lyft will be entitled to continue operations in London, England. But if the licensing authorities prevail on that appeal, Uber and Lyft, as amazing as it may seem, will be barred from operating in one of the largest cities on earth. Huh. As, wow. for, as for Airbnb, the opponents of that popular service have adopted a lesser way to cut down on them. In numerous cities around the world, opponents of Airbnb have enacted laws that limit the operation of Airbnb rentals to either 30 or 60 days per year. That simple formula of simply saying, yes, you can share your apartment, you can make it available uh, to incoming tourists, but you can also do so for no more than 30 days or perhaps even 60 days a year. That simple formula is an easily enforceable one, and it is expected that Airbnb will be forced to limit their rentals to those uh, easily determined limits, that is 30 or 60 days per year, and that will prevent many companies from turning whole apartment houses into illegal yeah, hotels. Yeah, so it's many a problem. People fear. If, if I were asked to predict which of the two major services will prevail, whether either Uber and Lyft on the one hand or Airbnb on the other would continue, I would say, say that Airbnb is most likely to continue in operation. But if, if the legal effort against Uber and Lyft in London succeeds, I would predict that cities all over the world will follow along in attempting to, to push Uber and Lyft out of business. I and don't know. I'm, I mean, part of it is there are cities where in past years, taxis had only serviced the more prosperous but, areas but, of but, those cities. So the pro- argument is that Uber and Lyft helps people get places in the areas where there is less services. But who says the opposite, namely the taxi drivers? And <laughs> well, yes, Their very course. existence is at stake here. They yes, are worried. But are they a they powerful are, enough lobby? They are a big, powerful lobby. They are so... Okay. They have actually, in some cases, resorted to violence huh. to prevent right, Uber and Lyft true. from continuing to operate. And I would think if any Anyone goes out of business in most cities of the world, it will be Uber and Lyft. Well, we know that Juno, Juno, there was a company called Juno in New York. They are no longer operating here. So there are there are big pressures on that burgeoning industry. It's going to be very interesting to see where it all ends up. We have to take a break. Upcoming, we're going to talk about destination weddings. We're going to be talking about tours. We're going to be talking about much more. So don't turn that dial.
You're listening to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my father, Arthur Fromer. And in the studio with us, we have Lauren Greck. She is an uh, associate professor at NYU in hospitality. She also runs an agency called LLG Events. Welcome, Lauren. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. It's a delight. And... You are a specialist in destination weddings. Now, that's a that's a, a a segment of the market that's been around for a long time, but it's changing now, right? Definitely. How how is it changing? I would say that millennials and Gen Z as our new consumer have mm-hmm. really taken destination weddings to a whole new level. I think they're going to extravagant places, more remote, more private, and they're taking all of their family and friends with them. It's well, and one of the reason for this, I mean, I don't want to inject like a negative when you look at destination weddings, but it used to be you, you had a destination wedding, you went to the Caribbean, but that has Zika. And these are people of childbearing age. Correct. And so that has forced people to look at other parts of the world, right? Absolutely. And I think that's where we really started to see the rise of European weddings. We mm. got to see um, a lot of people going to Italy and France and the United Kingdom, which has really allowed the economy in Europe to really start booming in terms of the destination wedding sector. Now, uh, isn't it the case, though, in certain of these countries, you can't legally get married unless you have a residency there? That's correct. Most of these weddings are actually symbolic. So people are not going to the destination to have a civil ceremony. They're going just to celebrate with their closest family and friends, all 250 of them. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's that's an incredible adventure. Yes. So what are some of the... So you said said there's Europe. I know you recently planned uh, a uh, wedding in Bora Bora. That Um, was incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Why? What's a wedding in Bora Bora like? Um, You're literally in the middle of nowhere and you are in this lagoon that's looking over this old extinct volcano that hasn't erupted in in years. We hope hope not. not. (laughs) And you're just, you've never seen anything like it. It's literally a slice of heaven. And so when you're going there, you're completely removed from anything in the world and your guests have this incomplete privacy and ultimate exclusivity. It's really, really quite incredible. Now, you said that the difference is that it's millennials and Gen Zers. Well, hopefully not Gen Zers. I mean, they're pretty young. Aren't yeah. they 25 and under? I yes. guess I guess a couple of them are getting married, aren't they? Wow. I, they are. Those are my next clients. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they. it's been said that they're much more interested in uh, experiences than in things. That's so correct. are we seeing them moving away from having big gift registries and, and more of that money is being is going towards the destination wedding? Yes, and a lot of these couples live together prior to getting married now. So they already have their, their belongings for their home or they're going into their first home purchase um, together. So now they're really focusing monetarily on the destination wedding, on having different experiences. I mean, we did a Shark and Ray tour where we swam with sharks. Mm. We were underwater and we were with lemon ra- lemon sharks. No, this was wasn't crazy. part of the ceremony, was it? <laughs> no, it definitely no. was not. <laughs> <laughs> that would be crazy. That would be nuts. We are speaking with Lauren Greck. She is a a, a destination wedding specialist. She has a, a, a company called LLG Events. She's also an associate professor at NYU in their hospitality school. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you feel people make when planning a destination wedding? 
I think people spend a lot of their money on the venue. Hmm. And there are better ways of going about venue negotiation and getting a hotel or hotel block that can be more cost effective. And I see a lot of couples blow their budget on their wedding venue Hmm. and not save for the other vendors that are needed down the line. And something that I always even tell my clients, think about the things that you're going to need to get towards the end of wedding planning once your budget is somewhat expired at that point. You need to think about vendor gratuities. So gratuities for your photographer, your entertainment, your videographer, even if you want to tip the banquet manager, the maitre d' of your event, these are things that you need to consider that normally people don't typically budget for, or they think that the venue is going to be taking care of a lot of a lot of those sure, elements. Sure. But I think one of the classic mistakes that people make is assuming to spend all their money on the venue and not realizing what the other vendors cost associated in the process. But in a destination wedding, isn't the venue often involved in where you're staying or are people going to one place staying somewhere and then getting married somewhere else? I see the latter happen a lot actually and so the hotel would be one portion of you know just your hotel room block so that your guests can stay with you and then some of them are choosing to get married on an off off premises so they'll go to a different island they'll go to a different hotel to give another type of experience I mean I had a client that wanted to do get everybody on a boat and do a ceremony on the boat and then go to a remote island, have a reception on the island, and then bring everybody back to the hotel. Wow. So that's three separate locations for three separate parts of your event. And now I would think that a lot of people are going to get their backs up when they hear it's a destination wedding because that's more expensive often for the guests. How do you smooth that? (laughs) Well, I I see a lot of couples now are choosing to buy out the location that they're staying in. So it's completely private to all their wedding guests. Mm. And either they choose to pay for the accommodations or they'll pay a certain amount of that buyout. And then the guests will pay the remaining the remaining amount. So this way it makes it a little bit less expensive for the guest. um, And the couple is really covering a lot of those costs. They cover the cost of the experiences if they do jet skiing or, like I said, the Shark and Ray tour. They do a fishing trip the couple is really ch- taking Ooh, on all those expenses is, these are these are wealthy <laughs> young people what are they all doing robbing banks um, <laughs> I I would I know that a lot of people I mean when when the Caribbean was king and I don't know if it's totally not king one of the reasons for a destination wedding was it would be more affordable for the couple some of the more of the costs would be shared by their guests. Right. Is that ever the reason people are doing it this way or not what you see? Not necessarily what I see. Huh. I actually see the couple is really taking on the brunt of the expenses so that they can bring their friend. Their friends typically just pay for the flights. And mm-hmm. then once the friends are there, they get to enjoy this gorgeous resort. And, and um, are they going somewhere else for the honeymoon or is this the honeymoon too? This is the honeymoon too. Okay. It's becoming both. We're fusing together the wedding with the honeymoon. So now people feel like they can splurge a little on the wedding uh-huh. if they're also going right. to be there for their honeymoon. Well, I guess that makes sense. Well, it's absolutely fascinating. Once again, we have been speaking with Lauren Greck. She is an associate professor of hospitality at New York University. And you can also find her at LLG Events. Thank you so much, Thank Lauren, you. for appearing on The Travel Show. Thank you so much. I feel like we should be throwing rice. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>
Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my father, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Christian Walters, who is the Managing Director, North America, for Tour Radar. Now, Tour Radar, if you don't know it, is a marketplace online for tours, multi-day tours. Is that a fair way to describe it, Christian? Absolutely. Uh, that's exactly what we are. We're the world's largest marketplace with over four, um, over 40,000 different tours and 2,500 different operators. And when we say multi-day, we mean anything that is what well, you consider a tour with a guide, accommodation, and transportation. That's three or more days. And do you, go, do, you, do you have tours for pretty much every corner of the planet? Exactly. We pretty much have a tour uh, in, every, in every corner as well. For, we have a tour for everybody, any age group, and any activity and comfort level. And one of the things you do on your site is you, you post reader reviews. So recently you did kind of a study of those and came up with some awards for the best tours. Did I say that correctly? That's right. We've uh, we've just uh, announced a hundred um, tours of the of of of, of the world and um, and tours of the year. So we basically identified uh, top one hundred uh, with one that uh, was uh, the best rated overall. All right. Well, let's get to the big winner. What is the big winner? What tour was best rated of all? So that one was uh, Japan One Life Adventures. Mm. Um, so the the operators One Life Adventures, and it's their main uh, Japan tour for 10 days. And what made this really, really special is the fact that um, you could spend 10 days in some of the best parts of Japan, um, including, of course, Tokyo, sure. where you can go to the um, Akihabara, um, which is like their uh, Tokyo's electric town. Mm. And the um, personal favorite of mine... Wait, what's an electric town? It's basically where you, uh, you see all the neon lights and, of course, ah. all the modern screens. And um, it's kind of like Times Square, uh, but on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they also do some unusual things. They try to delve into contemporary Japanese culture on this tour, right? Absolutely. So, so the, you know, a key component to every tour is, is the quality of the guide. And the guide makes uh, sure that you learn as much as you can about uh, the culture, as well as some Japanese phrases so you can make your way around town. And some of the cultural things that you can do is actually spend um, uh, an evening uh, sleeping at a temple in the uh, Takajama area of Japan, and you actually sleep on a tatami mat for the evening. Huh. And they also go out for karaoke, and they do some other very Japanese things. Uh, So you did different... uh, prizes for different regions, right? For our listeners, our listeners are North American. In our region, U.S. and Canada, what is the top winner? So one of the, there's, there was several um, in, in the U.S., but uh, there's one uh, specifically I'd love to highlight. It's the Canadian one, which was uh, the uh, Rockies uh, premium tour that you leave from Vancouver, and the operator is uh, Discover Canada. And what makes it so special? Well, it's a, it's a beautiful tour that you leave from uh, Vancouver and you end up uh, crossing through the, uh, the Fraser Valley and the Okanagan Valley, which is very beautiful. And you end up in um, one of Canada's most gorgeous parks called Jasper National Park. Oh. Um, I've done this tour myself, and one of the highlights for me was uh, ca- uh, paddling a canoe 
on a glass-like lake surface uh, mm. with a full moon overhead. It was absolutely stunning. We are speaking with Christian Walters, who is the Managing Director North America for the Tour Marketplace website called TourRadar.com. And is this Canadian tour, is it done by uh, rail or bus, or how, how do people get from one place to the next? It's usually done by uh, small vehicles. So a lot of these tours are, are small groups, uh, like under 15 people, and uh, they have an appropriate vehicle to take those people across the country. Now, we always find our listeners are very interested in Italy. For Italy, do you have any prize winners? Yes, we, we, certainly, we certainly do. We have a, a tour of Sicily, uh, which is eight days uh, by uh, Sicily Activities. And um, the highlight for me... Uh, so wait, before one. you go into that, Sicily Activities, so that's a tour company that sounds like it only deals with Sicily, is that correct? Exactly, exactly. And that's kind of uh, one of the, 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 the highlights of working with uh, Tour Radar, booking a tour through Tour Radar, is that we um, give you access to very small, um, uh, uh, locally owned and based uh, tour companies, so companies that you probably haven't heard of, but they really know their regions the best. Right. Who uh, Companies that might not have the marketing budgets to be advertising here in the U.S., but for Sicily tours, you want to go with the Sicily specialist. So what do they do so well? So the one I thought was, uh, you know, kind of touching to some of my memories was, uh, you know, I'm a big fa- fan of the Godfather movies. Uh-huh. And uh, in the original movies, there's a scene where they are out in the countryside. Um, there's a romantic scene there. And uh, the mafia tour part of that tour, they actually take you to some of those little towns uh, where they actually shot that, those, those, that footage for the movies. Wow, that's great, because a lot of tours only end up on the circumference of Sicily. They don't go inland uh, that much. Exactly, and that's, that's the specialty of a multi-day tour, is it takes you, uh, you definitely see the highlights in the big cities, but it also takes you into the countryside, where you might not want to do on your own. Now, when people are going to Tour Radar, how much do you think they're influenced by the reviews and the ratings? How much does that do to drive a tour company up? It's, it's, it's very, very important. It's part of the, the algorithm that we have set up. Um, so when you're doing a search on a tour and you're filtering what you want, the, the tours with the best reviews and the more current reviews pop up to the top mm-hmm. and uh, you know take for example that, that Japanese tour that I mentioned earlier that had over 700 reviews that wow. were, um, and gave it a full five star rating overall that's great and the other thing I love about tour radar is you can quickly and easily compare prices which is hard to do for multi-day tours well I thank you so much for appearing on the travel show once again we have been speaking with Christian Walters from tourradar.com we'll be right back listening to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my father, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Kelly Soderland, who is the travel trends expert with TripIt. Hey, Kelly, thanks for appearing on The Travel Show. 
Hi, Pauline. It's great to be here. So I understand that you've recently brought out your Happy Travelers Data Report, which is all about what makes travelers happy when they fly. Now, before we get into the details of what you found, how many people were polled for this report? Yeah, absolutely. So we polled about a million travelers over the course of a year. Wow. Well, that's <laughs> that sounds vast. That's amazing. And what kind of things did you ask them? So TripIt allows you, or TripIt asks our um, users to rate their flights after they've completed a journey. And they rate them based on things like um, overall satisfaction with their flights and then on, a, on an amenity level. So looking at things like seat comfort, cabin service, food and beverage, Wi-Fi, and entertainment. So and then, can I assume that people in first class are just wildly ecstatic all the time uh, compared with the rest of us or, or not so much? You know, it's surprising because you would expect that. And really what um, our data showed was that travelers are most happy when their expectations are beat. And so on that note, what we really found was that um, people on discount carriers and even in um, basic economy, uh, we're happier with their service for the price point that they paid than some of the other flyers. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, if you pay a lot, you're going to expect a lot, and it's hard to get a lot just on a plane. Um, now, there are certain things that seem to be very important to travelers, like Wi-Fi or the comfort of the seat or the food. Which of those is most important? You know, we found that seat comfort was actually six times more important to mm. travelers than quality Wi-Fi. Again, I think it comes back to expectations. Um, cabin service was all, also ranked extremely high uh, with our travelers. So I think that really what the data is showing us is that travelers, flyers, they really just want to be well taken care of and comfortable on their flights. I find that when I take uh, basic economy and I have a couple of times, they do everything to make me anxious that they can. You know, you, you don't get to board until everybody else has. It, it just, it, you know, you don't get to pick your seat. Um, are people satisfied with basic economy? I know it can be a good savings, which is why I've done it. Uh, but, but I often feel gypped when I do. Yeah, absolutely. Well... I think that what our data is really showing, so when we look at everything overall on major carriers, first and business class do rank higher Hmm. in overall in happiness. But when we looked at economy versus basic economy, we did see a difference. And I think that really what happens is that basic economy flyers have different expectations from their flight, whereas in economy, you kind of get stuck in this no man's land of you're not really sure what you paid extra for versus mm-hmm, yeah. regular economy. <laughs> Very true. We are speaking with Co- Kelly Soderland, who is a travel trends expert for TripIt. And you also looked at which routes people were happy with. And there was a surprising one for the international route. What has the topest, top ha- happiness quotient? Yes. Yeah, so the Um, highest rated flight from uh, international flight we found was from Dallas-Fort Worth to Sydney, which is actually more than 17 hours. 
Wow, these people are just gluttons for punishment, aren't they? Well, what do people like about that experience? You know, Pauline, when you when we go back and we look at it, actually, um, the service, the quality of service on um, ultra long flights is what they're um, called. Actually, is is really really good. I've, hmm. I don't know if you've ever taken a flight that long. But, I have. Uh huh. And so, since you're stuck on a plane for that long, I think that some of those carriers really just go above and beyond to make sure that their passengers are happy. Interesting. You also look at airports. What is the top-rated domestic airport for happiness? So the top-rated domestic airport for happiness is Dallas Love in Texas. Wow. So people are happy even before they get on the flight to, to Australia, it sounds like. This was actually a rival airport. So I oh, think that okay. Dallas is actually... And the other one was Dallas-Fort Worth. This is uh, Dallas Love. Hmm. And yeah. Well, interesting. Uh, what makes it so good? You know... We really found that alternate airports, flyers really, really like alternate airports, especially when they're flying domestically. There's something about the transactual, uh, transactional nature of uh, alternate airports over large yeah. U.S. airports that people really, really like. You want to get in, you want to get out. Yep. And they're easy to use and friendly usually. Very quickly, we have about 30 seconds. What's the top international airport according to your study? So the top international airport was in Doha, Qatar. Ah, lots of uh, amenities. What makes it top? Do you know? I think really uh, we found across the board that when travelers fly internationally, they really love to be wowed. There's really amazing architecture, great services, um, innovation. Yeah, at Doha. Well, thank you so much. We've been speaking with Kelly Soderland of TripIt. Thank you so much, Pauline. back to the travel show. We have one short segment left. Last week, we were talking about my article on Fromers.com about the top trends in travel for 2020. And one of those, I think you're going to like this, Dad, and I heard it from <laughs> several tour operators. Well, I'm dying is to hear, Pauline. Adventure travel for seniors. <laughs> That's me. That's you. That's me. Every every trip I take is now an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I mean by adventure travel is I mean trips that have a good amount of physical activity, whether it's hiking or climbing or biking, because people are living longer, staying fitter, and don't want to just be sitting in the Barco lounger watching TV, uh, Adventure tour companies are finding that people in their 60s and 70s, maybe 80s, but they were mostly talking 60s and 70s, are still doing what in a generation ago would have been capped at about 45 or 50. But in their 60s and 70s, they are able to hike, they are able to climb mountains, they are able to do most of the things that younger people have hitherto been That's what they're seeing. To do. And interestingly, on the kind of the flip side of this, there's been a big movement, as everybody's heard, for millennials and Gen Zers to move back home after college rather than spreading their wings and move out, moving out right away. Well, they're also 
vacationing with mom and dad more. According to、uh, Backroads and also Butterfield and Robinsons, these are both hiking and biking companies. They have added new tours for families with 20 something children. And these are so popular that they've had to add more and more tours and take away tours from other segments. Pauline, I, they... am, I am thrilled that my grandchildren will want to vacation in the future with, with old granddad, namely. No, namely not with like old granddad.、Son. With their parents, with their parents, at least. But but maybe, parents, but、yeah. maybe with you too, Dad. I'm sure they will.、Uh, so that was another very interesting one as well. And I don't know if this is tied to worries about having too big a carbon、uh, foot footprint when you travel. But according to both、um, a VRBO, which is a home rental company. And Hotel Tonight, which is a hotel booking company, they're seeing a spike in people renting either homes or hotel rooms in the city they live in. Why? <laughs> Nobody really has an explanation, but there are increasing numbers of people who are doing that. The people at VRBO think it's probably for big family events. Uh, you know, like anniversary parties, birthdays, where you need extra space, you know, to bring in other members of the family. But that doesn't explain why the hotel bookings are also up. I have to、uh, guess that people are having more affairs. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I don't know,、uh, but it's an interesting kind of non-travel travel trend. You can see all of these trends. At Fromers. dot com, just look for my article. I wrote it、uh, called "The Top Tra- Travel Trends for 2020." We thank you so much for listening, and we, ha- we wish you a hearty bon voyage.